Oh, man. I love you. I love being here. Hey, for everybody in the overflow, you guys truly are holier than the rest of us. Or you're just later than the rest of us. It's one of those. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Man, I'm just, I'm, I'm super happy to be here. If you're wondering why we've got tubs up here in the front, that's because, I don't know, depending on how the night goes, Connor Grimm and Zach Atwood might come up and give us water walking lessons later in the night. Real men of faith, those guys. Try going to the pool with them. It's, it's crazy. But uh, we're going to see, I don't know, we're going to see what tonight brings. We might do that. I do know we're kicking off a brand new series called Always Only Jesus. A series, as you guessed, is all about Jesus. Your soul needs Jesus like your body needs oxygen. There is no replacement for Jesus. There is no other solution to your emptiness or your brokenness or your restlessness other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. And to find him truly is to find the greatest treasure that there is. And so I wanted to uh, start with this quote. I love this quote. This is by John Eldridge from a book called Beautiful Outlaw. Here it is. Sunlight on water, songbirds in a forest, desert sands under moonlight, Vineyards just before harvest. These all share something in common. They reflect the heart of a particular artist. The artist's name is Jesus. And words on a page or words in a sermon cannot compare to personal experience. Sailing the ocean on a bright morning with the wind in your face, wandering under a forest canopy while sunlight filters down, lying on warm dunes beneath the moon, a full moon watching shooting stars, drinking in the lush beauty of vineyards on a hillside in early autumn. These experiences are far closer to what it is actually like to experience Jesus than mere talk of him ever could be. Another sermon series about Jesus is only beneficial to us if it leads to an experience of Jesus, right? We don't need further debate or speculation. We need Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is that we can have him. God went to the greatest lengths imaginable so that you and I could not only have him, but experience him. Not only have him, but experience him. And I would even be as bold as to say this. He just could not help himself but to do that. That is who he is. He does not deny the content of his character. That is who God is. He just can't help but be with his kids. And so if you're taking notes tonight, I want to speak to you on the topic, he just can't help it. He just can't help it. So go ahead and uh, punch your neighbor in the thigh and say, hey, sorry, I just can't help it. The guy told me to do it. And then, and then let's pray. Let's pray. God, we love you. What we need tonight is not a speech or a seminar or even another sermon. We need to experience you. I pray that tonight we would change because of Jesus, because we experience Jesus, because we remain in Jesus, God. Always only Jesus. We want nothing but just to know you more tonight and experience you. We ask boldly for that right now in that powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, go ahead and get those out. At this point uh, in this gospel, Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? The Son of God, God with skin and bone, okay? 
The Son of God came to earth, Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah, and he's with his 12 disciples, his 12 boys, okay, his crew. And right now they are in Judea, and they're trying to get to Galilee, okay? And in between, and keep in mind, Jesus does everything with intent and nothing by coincidence. And in between Judea and Galilee, if Galilee's over there, is Samaria, a region called Samaria, home of the Samaritans, right? And these are pretty much the enemies of the Jews. Like Jews actually believe that the Samaritans were half-breed traitors and rejects, literally the scum of the earth. This was prejudice and racism of violent proportions, right? So if the Bible is the Lion King, then Samaria is like the elephant graveyard, right? You must never go there, Simba, if that helps anybody. That really helps me. Samaria, okay? And so, Jesus, keep in mind, he does everything with intent. And so, if you're a Jew back in that day, and you're in Judea trying to, get, trying to get to Galilee, like, what do you do? Do you go through Samaria? No. You do everything that you possibly can to go as far around Samaria to avoid being seen by them, to, God forbid, having to talk to one of them. I'm not going to breathe any of the Samaritan air in, right? <gasps> We're going to hope none of them, because we don't want to get the Samaritan sins on us. We don't want to catch a bad case of the Samaritan sins. So we'll do whatever we can to avoid it. But Jesus, and this is John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's what it says. Geographically, did he have to? No, but it says Jesus had to go through Samaria because Jesus has to be with his sons and his daughters. And his sons and daughters are in Samaria. He just could not help himself. Kind of like when I'm up here, sometimes I take advantage of this platform and I understand I can brag on my wife and score some major brownie points for my marriage. And so I'll stand up here on this platform and tell you about how beautiful she is. Like my wife, she's gorgeous, but she's even more beautiful on the inside than she is on the outside, right? She's awesome. She's, she's brave, courageous, completely brilliant. She knows more about Harry Potter than probably JK Rowling. She's like the best dancer She's like the best dancer I know, maybe even in the entire world. I love my wife, right? And I'm getting brownie points with every statement that I make on this stage, which is why my bank account of brownie points is completely full. I just can't help myself. Kind of like Jesus. I'm kind of like Jesus. He just can't (laughs) help himself. So they go through Samaria. They go through Samaria. And the Bible says after like a few days or a few weeks of journeying by foot... They come to a town called Sychar in the middle of Samaria. Jesus sends his boys into town to buy some falafels for lunch. And Jesus is tired. Makes sense. It's the Middle East at noon after walking and being on a long journey. So Jesus sits down next to a well. And wouldn't you know, the most unlikely person to now have her own story in the Bible shows up at the well. Starting in verse 6 of John 4. Tired as he was from the journey, Jesus sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some falafels. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. Go ahead and underline living water in your Bible. So at this point, she doesn't know that this is God with skin on, the Messiah that she's having a conversation with, so she's probably thinking like, okay, buddy, been out in the heat a little too long, living water. Wow, this is so cool. I'm so proud of you for having your living water. Yeah, let's have, let's have some of that living water. I have no idea what you're talking about, but fine. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Like, is this like carbonated water? Is this Mike's secret stuff from Space Jam? Like, what kind of, like, what are we talking about here? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So water in this story represents life. Life is the theme all throughout the Gospel of John. And by the way, every one of our scriptures tonight comes from John. And you'll find out why at the end of this. In John, in the New Testament, basically, there are three words that all mean life, okay? Three words, three Greek words that, that we translate all of them just to the one English word, life. Bios is the first one. Basically, bios refers to like everything that you ever learned in biology in high school. So your physiology, like your, your biological makeup, why you're alive. The second one is psyche or psyche, and naturally you can kind of make sense that that is talking about basically your personality, kind of the, the holistic essence of who you are as a person. And then number three, the best one by far, that is the theme of the Gospel of John is the Greek word zoe. Zoe is where we get the phrase abundant life. So you know John 10.10, John 10, 10, very famous verse in the Bible, like you know it. Like Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full, right? We love, like that verse is awesome. I have come so that you might have abundant life. I have come so that you might have Zoe. It's the part of your spirit that is quickened when connected to Jesus. And it's the theme of John. Verse 11, the woman said back to him, sir, all right, give me this water. If you have water that I'm never going to have to come back to this God-forsaken well again, I'll take all of this living water I can get. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're actually right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And so you, you pause right here and you kind of get the sense that like Jesus is being a little sassy with her because he's pointing out like her behavior. But I promise you, he might be addressing her behavior. But what Jesus is interested in is the backstory behind her behavior. We say this a lot at this church. Human beings are obsessed with behavior. God is obsessed with backstory. All right. In other words, there's pain and there's frustration and there's a story behind all the mistakes that this woman has made. And that is what Jesus is interested 
and talking to her about. He's not interested in showing up to give her a lecture, to tell her about the consequences of your sins and, how, and like the cause-effect relationship between, well, if you do that, if you do those bad things, it's going to lead to these bad things, and that's why you find yourself where you are, at the well at noon in the middle of Samaria. He doesn't do any of that. He addresses her behavior absolutely, but not so that he can condemn and judge her story, but so that he can redeem this woman's story. That's the point of Jesus. He did not come to this planet to judge this planet. Sometime religiously, so I, I, religiously, I think that we believe that sometimes, but the Bible even says later in John, in John chapter 12, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, Jesus says this, I don't judge that person. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world, to save it. That's the point of God putting on skin and bone and interjecting himself straight into this mess, this beautiful mess that we call planet Earth. And contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not come to judge it. He came to forgive it because all of us sin. I sin, you sin. Nobody knows more about that than you do, right? Like you know the depths of what's happening in here that nobody else knows about. This woman knows that she's messed up. There's a reason why she's hiding out at this well at the hottest part of the day. Like no, back in the day in the Middle East at noon, nobody came to the well at noon. Because, like crazy people did. It was so, like if you're normal, you come to the well in the cool of the morning. But this woman has messed up so much and just doesn't feel anymore like being around other people who are gonna judge her and gossip about her to her face right in front of her. She said, I just can't do it anymore. So I'm coming to the well early. I'm coming to the well at noon when nobody else is here. Because she knows who she is, right? She's the outcast. She is the person that nobody wants to be in the middle of the city that nobody wants to call home, right? She is the lowest of the low. She is the scum of scum. And she knows, man, the world is against me. And when the world is against you, it is hard to believe that God is for you. And so you run and you hide and you go to the well at noon. And guess who else does? God. God goes to the well at noon. He just can't help it. God shows up, but not to lecture her on her behaviors. Not to, like, I picture, like, if I'm, if I'm the woman at the well, and I'm sitting here with all of my mistakes, and I know the story and the behaviors that have landed me right here by this well at noon, trying to escape and not be around anybody else because I know how badly I've messed up. If I'm her, and Jesus shows up, here's what I think Jesus is doing. If this is, if this is the story of Doug at the well, I believe sometimes in my heart, the flesh part of my heart believes Jesus is going to show up and see me there and go, wow, again, this, this is embarrassing, Doug, come on. You're 29 years old. You're a 29-year-old man. I know Red Rocks calls you a young adult, but I call you an adult. Come on. You should know better than this. This is, this is, come on. Pick yourself up. Come on. People around us, people watching, pick, stand up. Let's go. I'm going to back away a little bit. We'll talk from a distance. But come on. What, what I need to see from you is a little less sinning and a little more behaving. So I'm going to give you a 90-day program. It's called the WWJD90X. Commit to this program for 90 days, Doug. 
for 90 days, I guarantee you, if you commit to it by the end of it, you will cut your sinning in half, okay? Then you'll be worthy, so then maybe we'll talk, but right now, I think would be a good time for you to think about the consequences of your sin and the cause and effect relationship between the things I tell you not to do and being at the well at noon in Samaria, Okay, so I know, like, I'm God, you're going to do that, you're going to work on that, and uh, we'll talk about this in 90 days, maybe when you've cut that in half, and uh, anyways, all the best, and uh, the camera people are like, great, I, like, what the heck am I supposed to do right, like, right now? I know that I'm God, I know that I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, but, but like, even if you can't do 50%, if you could just cut down, like, 25% of your sin, then you and I could talk, Okay? Because I am God with skin on. I am Jesus, so I do have the ability to teleport to the other side of the stage. But, but come on, this is embarrassing, Doug. I mean, come on. Pick yourself up. Let's go. Let's go. Do better. Like, if you and I are not careful, this is the dangerous religious cycle that we can find ourselves in when we're sitting by the swell and we believe that Jesus is going to show up with a lecture. Right, with some good old condemnation because guilt, man, guilt makes you do great. Like, guilt is a great driving force for doing better, right? It's act no, absolutely not. It's actually the opposite of that. And if you believe that it is somewhere deep in your heart, you will be, you, like, we'll, we'll call it the, the cycle of religious, like, we'll call it the religious never-ending toilet flush. That's the cycle you get caught in where you try harder, you fail again, feel worse, repeat. Try harder, fail again, feel worse, repeat, right? Lather, rinse, and repeat. These are the directions on the back of the bottle of religion. Try harder, fail again, feel worse, and repeat. Try harder, fail again, feel worse, and repeat. And this is why so many of us are so exhausted in our faith. Because, man, you already have enough frustrations in your life. Jesus did not come to be another frustration in your life. He did not come to be another bar that you are not reaching in your life. To add, like, like, we, like here's the thing. We all have, like, I think if we can all just have an honest moment at church, we're all, we have frustrations deep down within us, like Christians and non-Christians, about unmet expectations. Like, we kind of thought the world was going to be this way, and then we grew up and we found out, no, it's actually this way. Like, we all have our behaviors, but we have, we have the stories behind those behaviors, right? We have frustrations, and we have pain that drive us to do ridiculous things, right? And they're buried deep down, but they surface, and I think... The time they surface most often is when, like, you're stuck in rush hour traffic for an hour and then somebody cuts you off. And then all of a sudden, things that are buried deep down just come to the surface. And you say things like, like, what the? Like, and you're like, where did that come from? Like, that was in me? And you, you'll show people, like, symbols that you're like, what's wrong with me? All it took was one hour of sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and all of a sudden, like, like, I swear, if you catch two red lights in a row when you're already late, you're positive that God's not for you. <laughs> like, if you get cut off by somebody who accidentally did it, you're, you're, like, it's a personal attack on who you are as a person. Have you noticed this? You feel it. You accidentally do it to some, like, I'm going to tell you a story, and you just, you just, like, our agreement is that you're not going to judge me when I tell you this story, Okay. I don't cut people off um, on purpose. I don't, I don't cuss people out or flip people off. I almost just did it to, 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't flip people off. Well, I'm like, my wife, uh, when she was like 19, lived in LA. She flipped one person off in her car and then she cried for like an hour because she did that. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you know you don't have what it takes to be an angry driver right there. Like, there's no crying in road rage. You flip it off, you flip them off and you mean it. But I, like, I don't. <laughs> okay. So I don't, like, I've never even honked my horn. I give you my word. I've never used my horn in my car. I'm like usually just very, like I love to drive and I'm just at peace most of the time behind the wheel. So anyways, this brings me to a day, this is a few years ago, it's a beautiful sunny day in the summer and I'm on 285 and I'm driving to church and I'm listening to worship music because I'm a pastor and uh, if I remember correctly, I was praying for all of you and uh, just lost in the presence of God, right? And so I put on my blinker and I start to merge carefully into the left lane and I hear somebody lay on their horn and this was my bad and I owned it and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a guy and so I, I corrected it, crisis averted, everything's okay, right? And so I rolled down my window, I stick my hand out to like wave like, hey man, I'm gonna own that, totally my bad. And this guy, like he... Like, he probably saw that I had uh, a Chevy Cruze, and so he was like, oh, a baseline model of a standard sedan. <laughs> what a jerk. I'm going to speed up past this guy, and as he does, he gives me the most passionate bird I've ever seen and yelled something that I cannot repeat in church, right? Can't repeat in church. And so I start praying for him in the car, and... Uh, and of course, we come to a red light and we pull up right next to each other. And so, but here's the thing, trying to be the picture of Jesus up to this point in this story, here's what I promise you, I give, this is what I did. I looked over and I said, hey man, dude, I was an idiot. I wasn't paying attention. That was my bad. I'm sorry about that. Don't let that ruin your day. Thinking like we were going to have a conversation like reasonable human beings. And he looked at me and did it again. <laughs> straight to my face and yelled something else that I'm not going to repeat that I've spent three years trying to forget. And at this point, I'm like, please don't judge me. I'm not telling you the story so that I can show you how I got this guy. I'm trying to make a point. If anything, I'm embarrassed by this, okay? I'm not a road rage kind of person, but I am sometimes good with words and crafting things that I know are going to sting people. And so I'm sitting just fed up. I'm like, I tried to be the picture of Jesus and... I'm not Jesus, and that's okay, and I'm not going to be him right now, and so uh, please don't judge me, but I looked at him, and very calmly, very nonchalantly, I said, hey, um, is it possible that you hated your life before I almost cut you off, and that's what this is really all about? <laughs> and silence, looks straight ahead, rolls his window up, not angry, but like spirit, his spirit was like crushed. And I felt God just like, cool, man. Feel better about that? Way to go. I'll trust you with bigger and better things, that's for sure. Really quick, if you, if, if, if you ever find yourself in that situation where, where you're like trying to apologize and be reasonable and somebody like flips you off or, some, or they're yelling at you, do this. Look back at them and go, 
I swear to you, somebody who's already mad, they won't know what to do with what you just did. Because basically, you're showing them, hey, I'm good. My day's not ruined about this. And that's going to make them all the more angry. Or it's going to make them start laughing and realize, this is stupid. I've never seen a person flip somebody off and not look like a complete idiot to everybody else on the road. And I can say that because I felt like a complete idiot on this day. Um, but uh, don't do that if you have a Red Rocks sticker on your car. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, here's the thing. Let's be fair. Let's be fair to this guy. Let's be fair to everybody. Us, Christians, non-Christians, I'm not saying everybody like hates their lives. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think if we're all honest, somewhere deep down, we are all frustrated with unmet expectations for our lives and what we always dreamed about happening in our lives and now what we're living and what we're experiencing. And bumper-to-bumper traffic just exposes what's already in here. It brings to surface the worst of what is hiding in the depths of our hearts and um and the broken human nature is to when we feel frustrated when we feel pain in life is to just naturally like our flesh naturally pushes us to sin and drink from wells that are not jesus because it temporarily works and relieves that frustration but it leaves us more frustrated after it wears off you know and so like if i'm if I'm, the, if I'm the woman at the well, the guy at the well, and I come and I sit down at the well at noon, um, remember, Jesus looks at backstory, not behavior. And I'm thinking about this woman, and I'm like, you're, you're not a bad person because of your behavior. There's so much about her story that we don't know, right? There is, behind the mistakes is a memoir of pain, right, that got her to do things she probably never wished that, like, like, when she was a little girl watching Beauty and the Beast on repeat, dreaming about her dream man and her future marriage one day, like, she never thought, like, I'm going to get divorced five times. That was never her plan, but life happened and pain happened and unmet expectations happened, and before you know it, she's just, you know, she, she's here. Like, do you ever find unmet expectations in your life that leave you frustrated or, or things that cause pain that just kind of leave you wanting to go to any man-made well to find any bit of relief, you know? That's what we do. All, like, all of us self-medicate with man-made wells, and each one of us has our drug of choice, just like this woman. You know, so maybe you're frustrated about, you know, that relationship that ended, or that job that you hate, or that dream that's just not happening, or your health that is declining, or that disability that you didn't choose, or those fi- that financial situation that you just can't catch a break on, or a God you're trying to pray to, but you just can't feel or hear. You know, those things drive the flesh part of our hearts. They drive the flesh part of our hearts to man-made wells to find any bit of temporary relief, whether, whether that's success or finances or, I don't like, laziness or harboring anger or guilt or being bigger and better at this, trying to prove something, you know, passivity or being pissed off, apathy or being angry about something, like, whatever it is, like, I don't know, there is a backstory behind every bit of behavior that lands yourself right here at this well, and God knows that. 
God knows that every person in here is the woman at the well. Like it's easy until we realize that we are her to read that story and then all of a sudden it becomes personal. It becomes personal. Um, she's at the well at noon because she's avoiding somebody. She's there for a reason. Behind the mistakes is a memoir of pain. And so however you've messed up, if you're in here and you, you're just like, you have no idea the sin that's in my life. You have no idea the behavior that is in my life. You have no idea how far short I fall of what Jesus is asking of me. I've been a Christian for a decade or two decades and even this week, A, B, and C happens and now I feel so just dirty and angry and bitter and full of shame like I'm not even worthy to walk into this place tonight and let me just tell you this like if that's you I don't think that you're a bad person and I don't think God thinks that you're a bad person I just think that you're you're feeling some pain and frustration and you just want some relief and whatever it is in your life that you're going to find relief from temporarily like your human nature the flesh part of who you are is going to go do that so if a few drinks can get you that if those drugs can get you that, if a new relationship or a new marriage or a bigger house or, or sex or, or making that person love you more, like, what, like if, if even like cutting yourself so that you can have control over something in your life, if that's going to give you a little bit of relief, then you're like, that's normal. The flesh part of who you are is going to gravitate towards that. But Jesus is not here to lecture you but Jesus went through Samaria he had to he had to go through Samaria he just couldn't help himself he's not here to lecture you and condemn you he's here interested in the story behind the behavior that landed you at this well in the first place wanting to meet you with love Jesus did not come here to judge you but to redeem your story not to condemn your story, but to make it into something special. Tim Keller says this, The gospel is this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared believe. The key to everything about your faith is found in God's unconditional acceptance of you. Your key to relief from frustration is the fact that God is for you he just can't help it god loves you your key to sinning less and to behaving more is understanding just how for you the king of the universe really is god loves you for god so loves you he just can't help it he can't god watches you while you sleep like an obsessed parent who looks at you in amazement like i can't believe i ever made something that beautiful and that good he just can't help it. And by the way, this week, if you're looking for a way to just simply be with Jesus, I'm going to give you something really practical. Read the Gospel of John from start to finish. From start to finish. And so lean in really quick just for a few minutes. I'm going to teach us something about Jesus. So in about 10 minutes, we're going to have something to worship and sing about okay so john john the gospel of john john one starts in kind of a genesis kind of way where john writes in the beginning was god and the word was with god that's word capital w he's talking about jesus the word was with god and then later in in john 1 verse 14 it says the word became flesh and dwelled among us 
the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So, short history lesson. In the Old Testament, God dwelled among his people as they wandered around in the wilderness through something or in something called the tabernacle. Maybe you've heard of that before. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And a few hundred years before Jesus and John were born, a group of smart people took the Old Testament written in Hebrew and translated it into Greek, into something that we call the Septuagint. So if you want to sound really smart to your friends this week, just drop that word in the conversation. How about that Septuagint? It's crazy. I don't know. I'm just throwing... They translated it from Hebrew into Greek because Greek was the predominant language, much like English is today. And so John sits down to write John. And he, did, he lacked for a creative title, but he did have the Septuagint. And John takes the word that they used for tabernacle in the Old Testament and uses it for the word dwelled in the New Testament. This matters because, in other words, you could say the word became flesh. God put on skin and tabernacled among his people. So keep following me, you little theologians. Later in John 7, so this is just a few weeks or a few chapters after John 4 with the woman at the well, Jesus is at a big party in Jerusalem called the Festival of the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? And basically, Jews from all over would all gather and come together in Jerusalem to celebrate the fact that God used to temporarily tabernacle with his people, Okay, John 7, 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, okay, just put yourself in this situation. You can leave that up on the screen. Put yourself in this situation. Pretend that you're a young adult, a Jew from back in the day, and you're with your crew, and you guys all travel to Jerusalem for this festival to be a part of the party, okay, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and you've got your churro in one hand, and you've got a nice cold sprite in the other hand and then all of a sudden this Jesus guy who you've heard about stands up on a chair and with a loud voice is about to yell something and you go oh whatever this is it's going to be awesome right and you, you try to like insta story it without him seeing like like could this be the messiah hashtag you know like god of Jacob yes or no like like the vote thing and and then Jesus shouts let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. In other words, we're here to celebrate the fact that God used to temporarily tabernacle with his people. And what Jesus just said publicly is, I am that tabernacle. I am the Messiah. I am God with skin on. I am the word that has become flesh. I am the thing that we are here at this festival to celebrate. This is my party, and I'll say whatever I want. I'll say it as loud as I want. Pharisees, turn down for what? Right, that's a paraphrase of John 7. But John 7, 38, the next verse. Whoever, he finishes by saying this, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow from them. And Ben, you guys can come out. Rivers of living water will flow from them. I am the tabernacle here to stay, to permanently reside with my people. I mean, this is everything. This is why some of you have, some of you have been Christians for 
Maybe your, your whole life's just wanting to experience this kind of abundant life, this Zoe life that Jesus came here to promise. And you, like, if you're honest about where you are, like you're coming up short and you're not experiencing anything close to that at all. Because, if we, because here's the thing about human beings. We want rivers of living water flowing out of us, but we so quickly forget to remain with the source of that living water. Abundant life is the outcome of remaining with Jesus, which is why I'm so convinced if you could somehow take all of the effort and energy that you put every day into trying not to sin, and you took all the energy and effort that you put into trying to behave and live a life that's danceable, the kind of life that God's gonna look at with his unconditional love and applaud you for, like if you could take all the energy that you put into that and you could put it into simply just remaining at the well of living water, you would, like, you would experience Zoe unlike what you're experiencing right now. Life would be, like, if you could just remain with Jesus. You don't need to try harder. You need Jesus. Always, only Jesus. You need to fall in love with Jesus like the woman at the well did in John chapter 4 so that the love of Jesus, rivers of living water, can pour out of you like Jesus said at that feast in John chapter 7, right? The order of scripture is divine and John chapter 4 comes before John chapter 7 in every Bible that I've ever read. And so what's the picture that Jesus is, that John is painting via his gospel? That in order for streams of living water to flow from you and through you, you must first First, drink from that source. Meet him at the well. Where is the well? It's not a where question, it's a who question. Jesus is the well. Meet with Jesus and drink from an infinite source of Zoe life. Remain in him. Stay in a consistent connection to your creator. Friday morning, drink from the well. At school, at work, drink from the well. Out, out with your friends on Friday night. Remain with Jesus. Wherever you are, always only Jesus. We are changed by Jesus through experiences with Jesus by remaining with Jesus because he is, he is what the world needs right now. Like systems and politics and laws, those things are good and those things can be godly. But Jesus is the only solution for the broken human heart, right? So when I look out at the world, here's what I see right now with all the craziness that's happening. I see, I see people, and I know all too well what this feels like. I see people who are drinking from wells of lowercase life, frustrated because their expectations are not being met, and because of those frustrations, they are acting out in every possible way. Who releases that? Jesus. Who changes people? Jesus. What makes Jesus beautiful and attractive to people? Zoe. Real life and authentic love in a world full of counterfeits, right? And who did God put on this planet to be pictures of that? Who did God put on this planet as vessels for rivers of living water to flow, to, flow through to them? You and me. But only when we remain connected to the source. Otherwise, you'll come off with Thursday nights or baptism Sundays or conference weekend or retreat weekend, and you'll think, you'll think, man, God is good. Got my fix. Woo! Living water. Zoe, I'm feeling it. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I'm good. Thank you. I'm taking it with me. And Jesus is going, oh, you're not going to want to leave. Stay here. I kind of designed it this way. You and I, we... We need to stay connected. We need like, oh, Jesus, I'm, 
think I know the way now. Oh, but you know, I kind of, I, I am the way. What would I know? I, I'm just the resurrection and the life, but Jesus speaks to me sarcastically. That's why. Here's, here's what I feel like God wanted me to just tell us to close up was this. The church becomes an unstoppable force when we stay connected to the source. The church becomes an unstoppable force when we stay connected with the source. Millennials, man, and I know because I is one of us, we love sermons and series about the unstoppable force part, right? Like, gonna change the world, woo! If God is for us, who can be against us? An unstoppable force, and that is absolutely true. We are collectively, corporately, an unstoppable force, but only if we individually remain connected to the source. That means we need more Jesus. We need more conversations about Jesus. We need more awkward Christian coffee dates where we talk about how awesome Jesus has been in our lives, right? We need men and women in the business world who are pictures of Jesus. We need more songs about Jesus. We need teachers who are representations to their students of who Jesus is, right? We need churches that will continue to boldly preach that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We need, we need to create media and films and movies and shorts that depict the fullness and the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of Jesus because what I've learned is that the world is paying more attention to us than I think we realize, okay? And as they continue to drink from wells that continue to not meet their expectations, they're gonna continue to more and more look to the community of faith for answers. Look to the community of faith, to Christians for some hope. And when they do, what are they gonna find? Are they gonna find a lecture? or love, right? Will they see crossed arms or wide open arms, right? Are they going to look to the church? Are they going to see dry, apathetic Christians who are not experiencing Zoe on any level? Or are they going to meet vibrant, alive young men and women who are changed because they know Jesus? changed by Jesus, by experiencing Jesus, because they remained in Jesus. An unstoppable force that breathes Jesus. We are corporately an unstoppable force when we individually decide to remain connected to the source. So would you guys stand? I'm going to pray. And um, I felt like, I, like just to have an honest moment, I always feel a lot of pressure with sermons. And this week, I, uh, I just haven't felt any pressure. And it's been wonderful because I think God has kind of told me to stop taking myself too seriously and take Jesus more seriously. And, um, and I felt like last night he just said, man, just throw an alley-oop to the worship team because worship in this room tonight, I, I, I've been praying not for this message, but for this time, these next 20 minutes that we're about to have. Worship is experiencing Jesus. Worship is remaining connected to the source of Zoe, of abundant life, drinking from rivers of living water so those same rivers flow through your life. And there, there really is no better way to do that than just singing to him, and letting that wash over you, experiencing Jesus tonight.
And so let go, let go for the next 20 minutes. Let go and step into his presence because I promise you, you take a step towards him, he will meet you right where you are. If you're expectant that you might experience God with skin on, the Messiah, the creator of the universe, he will meet with you right here and right now. Do not wait for tomorrow. Do not wait for next Thursday. Meet with the creator. Meet with your maker tonight in worship. God, I I pray for my friends. I thank you for the gift of your son, for Jesus. I thank you, God, that you are now permanently tabernacling among us. And I know that there's pain in this room. I know that there's frustration in this room. I know there's unmet expectations about what we thought the world was gonna be or our lives were gonna look like in this room. And I know there's the temptation to escape it by drinking from any well, man-made well that the world has to offer God. But tonight, we, we come to the well of living water. Tonight, we remain connected to the source. Jesus, tonight, we meet with you. We need you like our bodies need oxygen. There is nothing better, no greater treasure than experiencing you, Jesus. And so would you change us? Help us to remain in you so we can be conduits of rivers of living water to people outside of these four walls so that they might see Jesus in us and so that they might walk away like the woman at the well to never, ever be the same again. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Young Adults, let's worship.